If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 5. And we're going to uh, continue to see what it is the Lord has for us through His Word. We'll pick it up this morning, uh, beginning in verse 12. It says, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared to join them. But the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So they that brought the sick out into the street and laid them on beds and couches. That at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem bringing sick. Those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. And the high priest rose up. And all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. And laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. And said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. The high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and didn't find them in the prison, they returned and reported saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple, the chief priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, and said, Look, the men that you put in prison are standing in the temple, teaching the people. And the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they would be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name and look you have filled all of Jerusalem with your doctrine and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us but Peter and the other apostles answered and said we ought to obey God rather than men the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a tree him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. And one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourself what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis arose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, around 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. And after this man came Judas of Galilee, who rose up in the days of the census, and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. Now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan 
For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. So they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're so thankful for the example and truth that you lay out for us in your word. God, we're so thankful to see the hand of God moving in the midst of chaos and uncertainty. And Lord, we just pray, God, that we would take and make application from your word to our hearts, through our lives, that we, too, might change our world. We give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you ever had a day that things didn't exactly go the way you thought they were going to? No? Just me? The other day... <clears throat> I'm getting ready for uh, to go duck hunting. I don't know if you guys know I, I, I am an attempted hunter, which means I'm not very often a, a catcher or getter. I would make a loud, lousy hunter-gatherer because there's no gathering that takes place. But a lot of hunting happens. And I was going out for duck because that's one of the few things when five guys were all shooting in the air at the same time at the same bird and it falls, I can say, that was mine. And they can't make arguments so far whether or not it was. So I do okay. So I'm getting ready to, to go out duck hunting. And I go, and it's getting a little cold. I don't know if you guys noticed. It's a little colder in the morning. So, so I go find my favorite beanie. And lo and behold, in my favorite beanie is a fishing lure. All tangled up in it. Now that doesn't seem like a good place to keep a lure, does it? So I went and got some needle nose, and I decided I was going to pull that lure out, my favorite beanie. And I will have you know, I was successful, because the next day I wore that beanie. However, during the act of pulling the lure out of the beanie, I decided to lodge it between my fingernail and the rest of my finger, all the way to the bend. No, no I didn't just poke it. I jammed it in there. Right right there. There's a little hole still. All the way down in my finger. Now, so far, that night was not going the way I had intended. I'm thinking, I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to be ready to get up early in the morning to go sit in the cold and shoot at ducks. <coughs> but instead, I am calling, trying to call, I'm trying to find a friend. At 11 o'clock at night, it's hard to find friends. I don't know if you're aware of that. So I'm calling friends, seeing who I could bribe to come grab some needle nose while I look the other way and jerk it out of my finger. Yeah, I know. That's the same way I felt. So <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't find any. In fact, everybody I talked to who would at least answer their phone, some wouldn't even answer their phone. But those who did answer the phone, not like Jason who didn't answer his phone, but everybody else... <laughs> they said you need to go to the emergency room now i'm i'm just a little tight 
I don't want to spend a thousand dollars to have some doctor spend 30 seconds pulling a hook out of my finger. Besides the fact of how stupid you look walking into the emergency room with a hook sticking out of your hand. And you're going to have to hear all the jokes, right? All the jokes are, whoa, what were you fishing for? Yeah. I caught a 250 pounder and he didn't get away. He's still stuck to the hook. So, so I go down. So I go down and we go online. And online they say, here's the trick. Wrap a little string around the hook and you hold the eyelet down. And then in a sudden quick motion, you boring the string and the hook will come out. And all of a sudden, I couldn't believe my ears. My wife was volunteering for the job. I'll do it. I'll do it. She was... She was way too excited about having a chance to pull a hook out of my finger. So <clears throat> I opted for a doctor who would at least care a little what he was doing to me. So I go down to emergency room. And so far tonight's not going how I plan. But at least I'm thinking in my mind, you know, surely, because we tried. We tugged hard, didn't we? We tugged. It wouldn't come out. Boy, I, I, was caught. I was thinking about how to go hunting the next day with a hook in my hand. But my gloves wouldn't fit. So, so... We go down to the emergency room, and fortunately, it wasn't very busy. There's one guy in the waiting room, and he laughed himself clean off of the seat that he was sitting on. <clears throat> so then after, after a little humiliation in the waiting room, they let me come into the back, and the doctor looks at it, and they, I, all the jokes came up again. You know, so it was like the fourth round of the jokes. It's, it's less funny to me now than before, but <clears throat> the doctor was having a ball. So... He, uh, he says, I know what we'll do. We'll, we'll give you a little shot there under your fingernail and we'll, we'll stick a needle under there and find the barb. And when we find the barb, we'll pull the, the hook out. Well, it sounded like a good plan and I didn't see that one on the internet. So I thought, he's a doctor, he knows, right? So he jabbed and he jabbed and he jabbed and he couldn't get it. So then he said, you know, I heard a story one time about wrapping a string around it. <laughs> So sure enough, he gets another guy out there to hold my hand down, and they wrap a string around the, the one end of the, the curve, and the other guy pushes the eyelet down of the hook, and the doc looks at me and goes, are you ready? And before I could say yeah, he went boing, and it come right out. Fortunately, I had the shot, didn't feel a thing, felt great. I thought, wow, that, I'm going to remember that. Now, so, sometimes the day doesn't go how you think. If any of you end up in that predicament, even if it's at 11 o'clock at night, I'll be more than happy to come show you the string trick. And I might even do it, I might even do it for half of what the doctor charged me. <laughs> so we can get that hook out of your finger. Now, this last week, I don't know how many of you guys were aware, there was an election. Some people didn't know. But there was an election this last week, and some people felt like that went a little different than it should have went. And every time, it's interesting because this happens every year. Well, not every, every four years. Somebody's always disappointed. I don't know if you know that, but our country's pretty much divided down the middle. So, some people are happy and some people are, are nigh to despair, throwing their hands in the air, thinking, how in the world are we going to get this hook out of our finger? It's really not that hard, but I just showed you how to, to do that. But the point is... 
as we look and as we consider what's going on, I, I think it's important that every one of us do our job. We go to the polls, we cast our votes, and God chooses a king. You know that, right? God always gives the king the people deserve. And we look at scripture, and we especially we look here at Acts chapter 5, and we, we see this. Hey, we don't have any time for despair. We got a job to do. Do you know that? And a job hasn't changed. And it wouldn't change no matter who is the president. We have a job to do. And we need to be about doing that job. Well, last Wednesday we were together studying in, uh, in 1 Kings. And, and as we were going through the study, I, I had shared that I was uh, reading a book for a, a friend. Asked me uh, uh, what I thought of this book. So I was reading it. And I, and I came across something that really I thought was... I don't know, uh, kind of neat. And, I, and I, especially with the times of what's been going on and what's happening and, and the questions that some people are, are, are working in their mind. And as I look at Acts chapter 5 and as I look at 1 Kings, I see the same thing. See, 1 Kings, the nation was divided. But not quite in half. Ten tribes went north and two tribes went south. And the ten tribes that went north were all sick of God. And so they went up there, and, and the other two tribes, they, they were only sort of sick of God, so they went south. And, and they did a little better because they still allowed God to be a part of their life, but the northern kingdom, they struggled a lot. And so I see these same principles that we're going to talk about happening there. Then I look at Acts chapter 5. It, please don't lose sight of the world that they're in. The world that they're in, guys, is, is ruled by Rome. They're, they're conquered. They're a conquered people with a, a, another totally different king set up they don't have freedom to go do the things that they want to do or be who they want to be they have to follow roman rule and so they find themselves in a place just like what paul tells us in romans chapter one and when we look at romans chapter one we're not going to go through that chapter i just want to give you some highlights of it and please feel free to to take a look and read it when you have opportunity. What we see in Romans chapter 1 is that the nation of Israel back in the time of kings and the nation of the United States among others find themselves in a place of divine judgment. No matter who is in charge, that doesn't change. We still find ourselves in a place of divine judgment. There's there's five parts of this divine judgment that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. And the first one is a spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness that takes place. Well, think about it with me for a minute. In, in Romans 1 verse 20 it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. But became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to become wise, they became fools. The first step, the first part, if you will, in, in divine judgment, the Lord, in essence, turning people over to the, to the desires of their own heart when they're in rebellion against Him, is a spiritual blindness, a refusal to glorify God. There was a refusal to glorify God way back in the time of, of Rehoboam when the nation splits. There's a refusal to glorify God here in Acts chapter 5 as we see the church moving forward in power. 
There's a refusal to, to glorify God in our world today. There's a spiritual blindness. For though they knew God, they would not glorify Him. It's amazing to me that we can go today and hear an argument in the Supreme Court about how the Ten Commandments are not lawful to be hung in any public place. Sitting right above the benches of the judges, engraved in the stone of the building, is the Ten Commandments. Spiritual blindness. A spiritual blindness comes upon them in the past. We see it in our world today. After a spiritual blindness comes, we, we enter into back in the, in the history of Israel and here with us today, the second part of divine judgment, which is idol worship. Idol worship. Well, we're fancier today. We don't call them the god Baal or the goddess Ashtoreth. We just call them by their names, money, sex, and power. But those three things were the three workings of the gods in every deity, in every nation around the world. They break down to those three things. And the people began to focus on, they exchanged, what does Romans say? They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made with corruptible hands. In other words, they take the, the glory of the invisible God who can be known and they exchange it for something inferior, something else. Thinking that this great emptiness within me can be satisfied if I make enough money, if I have enough power, if I know enough women or men or whatever the, the case may be, and we enter into idol worship. They did it in ancient Israel and we do it today. Same thing. We enter into a time of idolatry. The third part of that divine judgment, according to Romans in verse 24 through 27, leads into a time of sexual sin and perversion. The scripture lays out for us that therefore God gave them over to uncleanness and the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and who worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed Forever, amen. For this reason, God gave him over to vile passions. The scripture goes on to talk about homosexuality. It goes on to talk about all different kinds of sexual immorality, which began to mark the society of ancient Israel and of our nation today. It's not any different. We still see that same thing. Unfortunately, we, we still see all of these things that we're looking at all of these divine judgments, we see them existing within the church today. And when Jesus wrote a letter to a church that was corrupt in the church of Thyatira, in the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, his call to them was a call for repentance. Solomon, when he put the temple up, he offered up that prayer. It's a height of Israel's history. Things are going relatively good at least on the surface, and he said, if we ever fall into a time of darkness, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, as Solomon dedicates the temple. The same thing is true today. We see these things taking place in our society. The fourth part of divine judgment in verse 27, it says that, Likewise, men leaving the natural use of women burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful 
and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. The fourth part of divine judgment is that penalty that is due. What's that penalty that is due? That inability to satisfy yourself. Unable to satiate your desires. Whether it be for money, sex, or power. Whether it be in relationship. There is this giant void that continues to drive men and women to further and further depths all the time. And we think if we could just change that, if I could just change the president, if I just change my wife, if we change Congress, if we change laws, everything would be different. The only time anything's going to be different in our lives is when we change who we worship. When we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, then He changes me. From the inside out. He does that work. Well, the fourth judgment. We see this emptiness. The penalty of the error which is due. And the fifth part in, in Romans. And again you can kind of go through it at your own. Romans 1, 28 through 32. We see satanic defiance. At that point they move into a place of defiance. What's their defiance? Though they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. So they did things which are not fitting, being filled with what? All unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, by the way, that's gossipers. Backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, and loving unforgiving, unmerciful, who know the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice these things are deserving of death, but not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. We look at this and we see this judgment. I think it is my conviction that this judgment is against God's people. I can tell you that I can see all these things in the headlines of the newspaper and watch them on the news all the time. And truly I can but they're in the church too. They're in my heart. Deceitfulness, boasting, pride, unforgiveness, unmerciful. These are the characteristics that, that Paul talks about in the heart of someone that God is, is turning over. And it's in the heart of our nation. It's in the heart of our churches. What does he say? He says a call to repent. To ask for forgiveness. Because we got a job to do. Do you know that? Do you know that the world is perishing without Christ every day? Who cares how the economy is? Who cares if there's any money in the bank account or if I, I lose my job tomorrow? If I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I have eternity with Him. I have it all. But if somebody doesn't know Jesus Christ, then they have absolutely nothing and no hope. And we have a job to do. And it doesn't matter who's in the White House. Doesn't change it. Still got a job to do. Still got a world perishing without Christ. I still have to deal with the old man and sin and... And all this garbage inside of me that in order to move on into Acts chapter 5, you remember how Acts chapter 5 started, right? With the death of, of Hananias and Sapphira. The death of, 
of two people who were caught up in sin that we would all excuse. But the Lord's emphasis to you and I is to say, listen, it matters. We need to repent. The first part of any revival is repentance in the church, in me, in you, in order to move forward. What do we see the rest of Acts chapter 5? We see revival. You want to see revival? It's right there. We just read about it. We read about the Holy Spirit moving in power, healings taking place, miracles taking place of people who are arrested and thrown in prison and let loose again. We see boldness in the lives of believers who are threatened with their, with their very lives and who stand up against the threat and say we have to obey God rather than man. That is revival. That's what it is. But we, in our time, were under judgment. We're under judgment for, even if none of these other things apply to us that we read out of Romans, knowing the righteous judgment of God, those that practice such things, not only do we do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. There should be a voice in our world like there was when Christ was walking on earth. That voice was the voice of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in the wilderness saying, Make straight paths to the Lord. Repent. Change your heart. Let God change your mind. Let the Lord move. We are that voice today. We're that voice. Of one shouting in the wilderness. We don't have to pick up our, our, our picket lines and march and all that. Forget all that stuff. People need to get saved. They need to be introduced to a real person who knows Jesus Christ really. Where Jesus Christ has affected their life and made changes in their heart. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 that they'll overcome the power of the dark one, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb, the power of what? Their testimony. And that they don't love their own lives to the death. That means you don't think about yourself first. And those three things will bring victory. And they'll bring the change we want to see in our family. And they'll bring all those other things. But you know what? We all want to skip step one. We've, we've alluded to it a few times. When we look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, He came and died on the cross. We all want to skip that part. The dying on the cross part. We want the resurrection to new life. We want the ascension to power. We want all those other things experienced in our life. But we've got to come over and over and over again to the crucifixion. Over and over again, I've got to come to the place of repentance. Over and over again, I've got to come to that place and experience the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Because you know what that does for me? It enables me to be graceful and merciful and forgiving to others. But if I don't think I need it, I won't give it. We've got to come to that place. And that's what's happening in Acts chapter 5. That's what's going on. William Temple said this, Christians are called to the hardest of all tasks. To fight without hatred. To resist without bitterness. And in the end, if God so grant it, to triumph without vindictiveness. For the weapons of our warfare, the scripture says, are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. 
But so often we go about things the wrong way. We lose the centrality of Christ and our message becomes all the things that are wrong with everybody else rather than all the things that are right about Christ. That are right about what He can do and work in people's lives. That's the message that God calls us to to deliver. And that's the message we see of the apostles in Acts chapter 5. As we look in Acts chapter 5, it says, And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all in one accord at Solomon's porch. So the people are coming to Solomon's porch. Even after Hananias and Sapphira die, and, and the Lord makes that example about how sin has to be dealt with in the, in the heart of the church. We want to we forget it. But my challenge is don't forget that. Uh, we're, we need to be thankful God still doesn't do that. That He did it one time to say, here's a point of emphasis, deal with sin in your heart. The easiest way to deal with our sin is to confess our sin. And He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have, to, we have to be constantly and consistently dealing with that. But then we see the Holy Spirit moving through the apostles in power. But look at verse 13. It says, Yet none of the rest dared to join them. People from the outside were watching and they're kind of tripping out on what happened with, with Hananias and Sapphira. So they're not just running in to join. They're kind of staying at a distance. They want to make sure they're really going to be committed before they go. So they're at a distance. But look at verse 14. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women. That word for added means they joined. They joined. They joined the movement of which there was 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And then it blossomed to another 5,000 men afterwards here in the temple at at the gate beautiful when there was a healing there. And now we see the numbers still swelling. People still joining. The church there in Jerusalem doesn't even have a building. They just meet at Solomon's porch out in the, in the courtyards of the temple where they can gather publicly, where the majority of people are going to be coming. And they have an opportunity. We see the, the, the body of Christ corporately together where people can see Him, where people can, can have contact with Him, not sequestered in some dark corner somewhere, where nobody can get in or that nobody knows what's going on, but out being a witness, sharing their witness, delivering what God has delivered to them, and people are added. So much so that they bring sick people out of the, of the street and lay them in the street just hoping that when Peter walks by, his shadow might touch him. Now this is what people do. People hype whatever's happening. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you do a careful reading of the scripture, it doesn't say anybody whose Peter's shadow fell on was healed. It says that was what the people were hoping. That if they just put somebody under the shadow of Peter, he would be healed. But what we do here is that the sick and the, and the demon possessed that were brought to them, they were all healed. They were all touched. God's spirit was moving in power. God's spirit was moving through the apostles. God's spirit was moving through his church. And when that happens, you're going to see responses. And the first response we see is attacking. That's by the high priest. We see the high priest attacking the truth. We're going to see an attack. After that, we're going to see an affirmation of the truth by the apostles. After that, we're going to see an avoidance of the truth by Gamaliel. And after that, we're going to, we're going to see the announcing of the truth by the church in power moving forward in a dark time 
politically, the land full of unrest, divided people, but the power of God moving in a great way because God's people were focused that they had a job to do. And they wanted to do their job. So the high priest, it says in verse 17, rose up and all that were with him, which is a sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. That word indignation in the Greek, it alludes to the concept of envy. They were envious and jealous of all the people flocking to hear this new thing that was going on, the ministry of Jesus Christ. They were jealous about people getting healed. They were envious of the things that were taking place. They're the old guard doing everything they can to hold on to the old traditions. No regard for the truth. Rather than deal with the truth, they attack it. And they come against it. And it says they arrest them and they throw them in jail. I love the story. They arrest the apostles, all of them this time. They throw them all in jail. The Bible tells that an angel let them out. And when the angel let him out, he said what? What's the angel tell him? He tells us in verse 20, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. You know how Jackie translates that? You have a job to do. Go do it. No, I'm not going to let you be in prison. If the, if the Lord wanted them to have a prison ministry, and later on he does, because Paul's going to spend a lot of time in prison, then he'll leave them there. For a prison ministry. But he let them loose. He lets them loose. And he says go. You have a job to do. He doesn't say flee. Run. Get a lawyer. Fight against what's going on. What did he tell them to do? People are perishing every day without Christ. You go tell them. And so what they do? They went right down to the temple. Here's a great picture of that. The, the prison they're in is just off the temple grounds. So they don't even hardly go a block away. It's like getting out of jail, walking across the street, and starting to do what you were just put in jail for. Now, some people do that in a negative sense. <laughs> this is folks doing this in a positive sense. They go across. They're, they're, they're going to begin to teach all the words of this life. And so it says, And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. And the high priest gathers their council and they all come together and they say, okay, let's get them guys in here. Somebody go get them. All right, we'll go get them. They run down to the prison and they say to the guards, open up the, the, the prison and let them guys out. We're going to take care of them right now this morning. So they open up the gate, fully expecting to see them. And they're gone. And they all look at each other like, where'd they go? Now, I don't know. Did you guys let him out? I didn't let him out. Did you let him out? We didn't let him out. Where'd he go? They don't know what to do. I, I, I can see the guy taking the news to the high priest. Don't you see him? You go tell him. I'm not going to tell him. You tell him. I don't want to tell him. Who's, who's the lowest ranking military guy here? Oh, you. Yeah, sorry. Private, take the news to the high priest. He don't have anybody to pass it off to. So he goes. He tells uh, the captain of the temple. They spread the word. They let the people know. Hey, there's nobody in here. They're not in here. It says in verse 23, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. Yeah, you think? They're a little curious about how's this day going to go. 
What is happening? How is it that our world is going upside down? And about that time, someone comes in and says, Hey, the men that you put in prison, they're in the temple teaching the people. They had a job to do. And that job that they had to do was more important than all the other stuff going on in their world. All the people who could come and say, man, it's so wrong for there to be slavery here in Rome. Or it's so wrong for the, the things that are happening under Roman rule to be taking place. You should join the zealots and we should go to battle against Rome and, and change the world through might of arms. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Means that we do things the way God calls us to do. And that was, that was best quoted earlier by William Temple. To fight without hatred. To resist without bitterness. To do what God's called us to do no matter what takes place. So they're out there teaching. They're out there doing the job. And the captain went and the officers and brought them. I love this little phrase, without violence. Last time they snatched them up and threw them in prison because they could. But this time, all the people are gathered around them. And the people really esteem them. We read that earlier. The people were, were stoked about all the healings that were going on and the miracles that were taking place. And so the people are, are really coming to hear the words of life that is being proclaimed through the apostles and through the people who had been saved already. And as they come to that place and as they are around that area, here comes the captain of the guard and he, he says, we got to go easy. Because if we just snatch them up, these people can tear us apart here on the temple grounds before anybody can get to us to help. So they walk up and they ask them. I want you to think about this. They walked up and they asked them. It says they took them without violence. They said to them, you need to come with us. The high priest and the Sanhedrin have questions for you. Now, they could have said no. They could have said, we're not going to do anything you, you guys want to do. We're out here. Look at what God's doing and God's moving and things are happening. But rather, when they were asked to go, they went. Do you know why? Because there in the Sanhedrin, there are 70 guys who, if something doesn't change in their life, are going to go to hell. And they have an opportunity to bear witness before the council so they go they don't fight they don't argue you, if you don't think that kind of stuff happens you need to read beyond the gates of splendor you need to see the story of Jim Elliot who had a rifle full of bullets that he could have pulled out and shot a bunch of natives that were trying to kill him and his buddies but who allowed those natives rather to kill them with the hopes that they would get saved and their wives went in through the power of the Holy Spirit, we see the entire tribe saved. There's a movie about it. The End of the Spirit. Ever heard of it? Yeah. Elizabeth Elliot was Jim Elliot's uh, <coughs> wife. And so as we see these things taking place, we want to be in a place where we can recognize that sometimes the weapons God's calling us to use are not... Weapons that of, of mass destruction. Sometimes our weapon of mass destruction is being willing to be on your knees in prayer. Sometimes our weapon of mass destruction is willing to be obedient to what God's calling us to do. You know, the true test of a, of a servant is what happens 
when you're treated like a servant. And I'm always blown away at any Memorial Day or Veterans Day when we have veterans stand and people begin to clap. You know what they all do? Do you know what they all do? They sit. Why do they sit? Because they were servants. And they feel silly being, being given a, applause for, for their willingness to serve. And so they sit. Because they're humble. It's a great attribute to see in the life of the church. But too often the church's opposite way. Something great happens, we want to put them up on a billboard. We want to start talking about them. And we forget about the centrality of Christ. The reason why veterans sit is because we served a country that is bigger than us. And the reason I will sit as a believer is because I serve a God who is bigger than me. And it's not about me. It is all about Him. And that's, the, that's what we see working in these guys. They go. They go and there's no violence. And when they get there, here's the charges that they bring. First they said to them, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? They wouldn't even say the name of Jesus. We told you to stop teaching in this name. And you guys are out there. We just went out. I heard you say his name again. And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Wouldn't it be great if that's what people said about folks from Calvary Chapel Buell? That you filled your neighborhoods with his doctrine? That you filled the ears of your friends and your family and all those people with his doctrine? What doctrine? Not arguing about the stuff that doesn't matter. It's not that. It's, it's the centrality of Christ. Period. What is the message that the apostles are preaching over and over and over again? The death, burial, and resurrection of who? Jesus Christ. That's central. They keep that central. They focus on that centrality. And people were, were getting saved. And people weren't arguing about one thing or the other. They were focused on the main thing. And God was moving in power. They said, didn't we tell you not to do this and you filled this area with his name and you intend to bring on us this man's blood? They felt like the, the apostles were trying to convict the Sanhedrin of murder. That's what they're saying. You're, you're trying to convict us of his murder. Well, really, every sinner is guilty of the murder of Jesus Christ. And it's important to come to that place so you understand your need of repentance. If we look at what Peter has to say, when Peter affirms the truth as the apostles answer the attack, it says, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Folks, the time is going to come in your nation where you'll have to make that choice. Whether or not you're going to obey God or men. When it comes, you make that choice just like these guys did. With peace. They walked and they spoke the truth of who Jesus Christ was. He goes on to tell them in verse 30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on the tree. He talks about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And God has exalted him to the right hand to be a prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sin. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So he talks about the, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit that comes through forgiveness and repentance. 
And he says, we are his witnesses. Acts chapter 1, 4, 5, Jesus told them they weren't his witnesses yet. He said, stay here until you've been filled with power to be my witnesses. And on the day of Pentecost, that power came. The Spirit blew through the temple. It blew out the dust that was within. It blew out the garbage in, in those men's lives. And they, in submitting to the power of the Spirit, began to change the world. That same power is available to any believer. To any believer. So they, they come and they, they affirm the truth of who God is and what He's done. And they say, this is our job. This is who we are. We're witnesses. You remember what the word witness is in the Greek? It's the word martus. It's the root word from which we get the word martyr. Which we call someone who dies for their faith. We call them a martyr. In the Greek, that word means a witness. Do you remember that the scripture says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. Instead of worrying about what's going to happen if we suffer in this world, we better get busy about living for Christ now while you have a chance. Instead of worrying about whether or not we'll be called to die for him. We can spend all our time worrying about what hasn't taken place or we can get busy about doing the work. We can get busy about living for Him. Being a martus, a witness for Christ. We make a hundred excuses why I shouldn't have to do it now or why I should put it off till later. But the time is ripe. People are perishing even this morning as we gather here without Christ. We can't help them all, but there are some we can help. Even now the Lord is putting in your mind those people for whom you can be a witness. And we need to. We need to. There, there may be no tomorrow. We have now and today. We have this urgency to say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Things went just the way we wanted. Maybe we'll just wait around and see if President Obama can change it all. Maybe things didn't go the way you wanted and we can sit around and complain about why things didn't go the way we wanted and the world's not going to change. Or we can do the job God's called us to do. Go and tell. Well, the, hearing this word, the, the priests are furious and they want to kill him. So one guy stands up and this is another way. This is another way people will respond when the truth is sent out. Like Gamaliel. A lot of people like to talk about how great Gamaliel was. Gamaliel was a great guy. Very smart rabbi. He's the guy who taught Paul. We'll see him come up later. He's also the guy who avoided accepting or making a choice about the truth. He's the guy who said, just wait back and watch. Just let them loose. If it's of God, then, then you don't want to be found fighting against God. And if it's not, it's just going to unravel. I have a problem with that that logic. You see that logic take place in the world? If that's true, then we'd have to say, based on how many new comments there are, Islam is the truth. Is it the truth? Because boy, it's growing. It's this tricky thing about pointing a gun at your head and asking you to convert that kind of helps them with their altar calls, but The point that Gamaliel's making is a, is a point of avoidance. We can avoid dealing with this now. Let's just put it off. I love it when people come and tell me I'm an agnostic. I always think, do you know what that means? 
Because that's a Greek word that means ignoramus. But we think it sounds so smart to say, I don't really know what I believe in. A in the Greek is to be without, and gnosis is knowledge. I am without knowledge. I understand what they mean. I just don't know if they know what they're saying. But it's an avoidance of dealing with the truth. Look, it's either true or it's not. If it's true, we need to be busy about acting as though it was true. If I think I have something that you need, then I, in love, will tell you. If I don't love you, I'll just keep it to myself and let you burn. We have, there has to be something. There can't just be the avoidance of the truth. He gives two examples. These two examples are both examples in a negative sense, which tends to lead to the fact that Gamaliel had already made up his mind that they were false. Thetis he talks about, and uh, the other fellow is Judas of Galilee. Two examples from history of guys who were not true messiahs, who claimed to be, and the whole thing came to nothing. So Gamaliel just says, just ignore it and it'll go away. Ignore it and it'll go away. The church tried that, by the way. The church tried that sometime beginning around 1933 when the world began to say that there is no God, we must save ourselves. We just said, we'll ignore it and it'll go away. How's that worked out for us so far? Doesn't seem to be going away. God's calling us to step out in power. But finally, as we come to verse 40, we, verse 40, wow, sometimes. It says, and they agreed with him, and they called the apostles, and they beat them. Thirty-nine lashes, each one received. They were beaten. Two lashes on the back, or one lash on the front. Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine times they would be given it. And they were commanded never to speak in the name of Jesus. And I love this, because this is how the power of the Holy Spirit works through the church. Now, we all want to talk about signs and wonders. And I'm cool with signs and wonders. I believe in healing and miracle. I believe in the gift of tongues and of prophecy. But if you want to know how the Holy Spirit works in the church, it doesn't bring attention upon Himself. It changes the people around Him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Look at these guys. So they departed the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for His name. They were happy about the beating they took. It was not just a slap on the wrist, folks. 39 lashes across the back and chest. They were beaten. And they rejoiced over it. How many times have we said, oh, the Bible says rejoice in everything, but it doesn't really mean it. I'm not sure that's true. I'm not going to rejoice over, they don't say they rejoiced over the beating. What they rejoice over? That they were counted worthy. That they were counted worthy. That somebody looked at him and said, you look too much like Jesus, I need to beat you. Man, I hope that happens in my life. I hope that happens where people persecute me because they think I act too much like him. More often, I get persecuted because I act too much like me and I do something dumb. That's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. He's calling for, he's calling for this change in attitude, this announcement of the power of the Spirit moving through him. Listen, daily in the temple and in every house. That means publicly and privately. In the temple was public. In the house was private. Wherever they went... Whatever they went to, what did they do? They were teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. They were mentioning His name wherever they went. He was everything. They just got beat. 
and told not to do it. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're being witnessed. They're going and changing their world because they don't care. They don't care what you're going to do to them or what you're going to say to them. I ask you, how do you stop a movement like that? How do you stop a movement whose response to you when you hate them is to love you in return? How do you stop a movement whose response to being beaten and threatened is to turn the other cheek, to not revile or threaten you in return, but to rather walk like Jesus walked and say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How do you stop a movement like that? People talk all the time, how is it that the church today doesn't move in the power that, that they moved in in Acts chapter 5? Because we don't look like this. We don't look like this. We, we hold on to the things that aren't so important. Like they matter tremendously. And we, we forget about the power of God to call us above and beyond our, our ability to do any of those things. It's God who does it. It's not me. I just have to report. I just have to show up. I just have to say, here I am. I just have to say, I, I, I don't, I don't want to be what I was before. Isn't that what Peter did? I don't want to be who I was before. Who was he before? He's a denier of Jesus Christ. Who is he now? A guy who takes a beating, walks out the door and starts preaching while the guards are still holding on to him. And they threaten, if you don't stop that, I'm going to beat you again. And he just smiles at him, says, Jesus loves you. And instead of talking to the people he's talking to, now he's talking to the guards. You know, you need to know Jesus Christ. They took Paul and Silas and they beat him and they put him in stocks and they put him down in the darkest part of the prison and they couldn't quiet their witness. They shut the door. They put all kind of clothing under the cracks to try to get those guys quiet. They won't stop singing. They won't stop talking about Jesus. The earthquake happens. The prison doors are burst open. And where did all the prisoners go? They didn't run to freedom because that freedom will get taken away. They came to Paul and Silas because in the midst of the dungeon, in the midst of that place, locked up in stocks, beaten, scourged, they were rejoicing because they knew Jesus Christ. And they said, that is the most powerful thing I've ever heard in my life, and I need that. That's, that's what we need in the church today. And it doesn't just happen because we want it to happen. It happens because we take God's word seriously. He calls me to repent. I need to repent. I need to stop making excuses for them little things I think are no big deal. I need to make his word part of my public and private life. Wherever I go, whatever I'm doing, what am I doing? I'm teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. It's who I am. It's who I am. And the power of Jesus Christ will go with us. We have a job to do. The day is now. Now is the time. The fields are ripe. Jesus prayed for you and he said, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the fields. The fields are ripe. People will perish without Christ today. We, his church, have the truth. Will we take and affirm that truth and announce it to the world as the apostles in the early church did? If we do, we will see revival in our time.
just like they saw then. If we will obey what he said. Remember what the angel said? Go to the temple and you tell them all the words of this life. You tell them how Jesus makes your life new. You tell them and watch our world change. Watch it. One more time. I want to see God move in such incredible power. The unfortunate reality is I'm limited by me. I got to get out of the way. I got to get out of the way in what I think and what I do. And I got to allow him to move. And he will move. Amen. Why don't you stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're so thankful for this opportunity, God. We're thankful to be here and study your word, Lord. And God, I just pray, Father, that you would move in the heart of your church. For we are your bride. We are your beloved. And you love her and you cherish her and you want to see her accomplish great and amazing things through the power of your spirit. God, you call us to go. You call us to make disciples of all men. You call us to move. Lord, I pray that would be our choice, our heart, to go, to move, to see you accomplish great things. Father, we desire to honor you in all we say and do. So, God, do that perfect work in and through us as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close out this morning with a word of worship. I invite you guys to worship with us. Afterwards, we'll be doing the gift boxes uh, for the, the Operation Christmas Child. If you can join us, we'd love to see you join us. Prayer counselors will be available around the room. If there's something you'd like to pray about, if the Lord has uh, convicted your heart and you want prayer, we encourage you to seek them. God bless you, and go in peace.